0: picks for pace presented by the bear report your number one source for chicago bears draft news analysis scouting reports
1: and more
0: hosted by alex Blevin and andrew freeman on overtime, overtime media
2: welcome to Picks for pace a chicago bears draft podcast presented by the bear report my name is andrew freeman and of course i'm happy to be joined by bear report writer you say koshal you say how are we doing today
1: doing well man it's a jam-packed week coming up if you're a bears fan because you got bears packers if you are just a college football fan and nfl draft fan you got the college football playoffs happening on friday so yeah i would say overall for football it's a really fun couple of days coming up here
2: yeah it's, it's gonna be a hectic weekend we have new year's coming up so uh for anyone i hopefully everyone stays safe for new Year's Eve and. Uh, things of that nature and you know we're recording this episode on December 30th so again like you said hectic weekend we have coming up I'm really excited to see the college football playoff especially and of course Bears Packers it doesn't get any better than that we're going to be covering that a lot in this episode uh, with how big that game's going to be but you know we hope everyone had a happy holidays as well and enjoyed another Bears win this past weekend as they blew out the Jaguars 41 to 17 on Sunday Uh, You say, what were your thoughts from this game? Because, you know, it started off kind of iffy in that first half. The Bears kind of came out a little bit flat, I felt like, especially on really on both sides of the ball. They just didn't seem to be on the same page. And then that second half, I think the talent disparity really took over and they really uh, pulled away from this one as there was just they just way too much talent for the Bears team when compared to the Jaguars.
1: Yeah, it's one of those games where when you look at it and you're like, okay, so had the Bears been clicking on all cylinders from the first quarter onwards, that they should have never allowed 17 points the way that they did to the Jaguars. I thought that this was a much better game for the defense compared to what we've seen in the last few weeks, which is really important because... This was the game that the defense needed to kind of get back on track because you have Aaron Rodgers and the Packers coming to town in a couple days here. I thought that Roquan Smith played real well. Allen Robinson really set out to prove something. I would say that, this was another big day that David Montgomery had, right? Really showcases to why he's developing into the focal point of the Bears offense and a bit of a hot take here. I think that David Montgomery and Allen Robinson, they're both valuable to this offense. But what's really made this offense click over the last couple of weeks has been the fact that the Bears have been willing to continue feeding David Montgomery. Uh, I thought Jimmy Graham had another excellent game. I'm not sure if anyone noticed this, but when I look back at the snap counts, this was the first game in a while where Cordero Patterson did not have a single snap on the offensive side of the ball, which I thought was really key because it shows that, okay – And the way that Artavius Pierce played too was great, but going back to the Patterson thing, that was excellent to see because it's shown something that me and you and countless others that do write for the bear report have known for a long time is that the bears can have a good rushing attack without involving Patterson in that aspect of the offensive game plan. And so that's going to be one thing that is going to be key to monitor here over the next game right and if the Bears do make the playoffs is that because of the flashes and the bursts that Artavius Pierce showed do the Bears go with a one-two punch of Montgomery and Pierce or are we going to see Patterson kind of involved so was it just a one game thing or is this going to be a regular thing now against Green Bay and hopefully moving into the playoffs
2: yeah I think part of that was I I believe that Patterson is nursing some kind of injury so they wanted to save him for just what he does great, which is special teams, kickoff returns and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think what you mentioned there was pretty key that, you know, Patterson, they've been trying to make this work on the bears offense over the last few years. And while it, it, he has resulted in a few key explosive plays here and there throughout his career, there just isn't a lot of consistency when he's involved with the offense and they just can't, they just haven't been able to figure it out. I feel like Nagy has been trying too hard to try and get that worked out with Patterson and, it just The experiment just hasn't worked for the most part. I mean, again, a few plays here and there you can pick out where uh, he's d- done some nice things, but overall, uh, just not somebody that you want to be a big part of your offense. And I think it, takes, it does take away touches from David Montgomery, who is quickly establishing himself as one of the best running backs in the NFL, probably a borderline top 10 running back right now, especially when you look at some of the advanced metrics and what he's doing, um, breaking tackles and getting yards after contact. Uh, David Montgomery's been a beast over these last four or five games or so and he's been really really one of the key parts of this offense and I, like you said with Alan Robinson I think it was a nice uh, therapeutic game for Alan Robinson on his part you know because he played in he played in Jacksonville uh, for his first four years of his career and it was kind of like a nice little revenge game I thought for him you know everyone was talking about how Mike London was going to have a revenge game moment in this one and um, turns out that Allen Robinson got his revenge, so to speak, on the Jaguars, although I don't think he necessarily thinks that way. Ten catches, over 100 yards receiving, really nice day for him. Uh, I think that does bring him to 100 catches on the season, too, which I think is a career first. So big shout-out to Allen Robinson, big career milestone there. Uh, Robinson's, you know, he's been one of the better wide receivers in the NFL over the past couple of years anyway, and it's just nice to see him uh, really start to get that recognition as such. Um, but like you said, the defense, they start off slow in this one. You know, I felt like they were way too passive in pass coverage, letting Mike Glennon do everything he wanted underneath in this one and letting him get some quick completions out there. The pass rush didn't really do a lot in this game. They had one sack on a, on a blitz from Danny Trevathan, but otherwise not a lot of production there. You know, I do still have my worries about this defense going forward and especially, you know, going into this Packers game, which we'll get to in a little bit. But like you said, Roquan Smith, it's a travesty that he wasn't voted into the pro bowl. I'm sure he'll be getting some type of all pro uh, recognition um, to make up for that because he's been outstanding this season. He had two interceptions in this game. One of them was a little bit fluky off of a pass deflection, but still the fact that he's that active in coverage. I mean, it's, it's no, it was a kind of the interception itself is a fluke, but the fact that he's in a position to take advantage of that interception isn't the fluky part because he's so good in coverage that, you know, it allows yourself to be able to be put in a position where if you get lucky, you can take advantage of it. So that was really good to see there. And, you know, overall, other than the one, I mean, there were a couple of bad plays here and there from Trubisky, but other than that one really mind-numbingly awful interception, I thought Trubisky was pretty efficient too. So he continues to play solid football. I don't think it's enough to warrant a, it's an extension. I think a lot of that will have to be depend on, you know, how he does in this next game and potentially the playoffs, but, um, He's played solid – we haven't really mentioned it a lot, I feel like, over the last month or so, but Trubisky has played some solid football. I think that should be pointed out as well.
1: Yeah, and I think looking at Trubisky, my overall thoughts on this are just the fact that he's not playing good enough to the point where he's going to completely take over and win games, but then he's not playing bad enough to the point where he's the reason – and his erratic decision-making are the reason that the bears are losing games either. So I would say really what it is with Mitch Trubisky right now is it's kind of a middle ground that we have to find with him. And it's a good middle ground because it's like I said, Mitch is going to make a couple plays here and there that, are the reason that the bears do move the ball. Right. But then there's also some plays that you're like, like the interception and triple coverage, which is, this is why you got bench, but essentially what it is right now, is he's a game manager and he's a good game manager because he's not doing too much. He's essentially just taking what the defense gives him. He's just doing the bare minimum, no pun intended. And that's all that the bears really need, especially with the skill, position players that they have around him because it's the skill position players that are really making the difference here like montgomery and robinson and in certain cases you could argue this past sunday jimmy graham as well i think had two touchdowns right but it's the skill position players that are really making the difference mr Trubisky here is essentially just like making the um or you know not necessarily the focal point of why it's all clicking he's just taking what the defense gives him and letting the rest of the guys on the offense do the work
2: yeah, the coaching staff, they've done a, they've done a good job of, of scheming around his deficiencies, uh, to put it kind of kindly like that. And, you know, he's making really smart plays. He's really quick with his decision-making. Right now, he seems to be playing much more confidently than we've, than we've seen in the past, which I think is the biggest difference. Um, you know, there's still a few blunders he'll make every game where you're you're scratching your head and you're thinking, you know, what, what was he seeing there? What is he doing? And a lot of those plays are when he has to, you know, kind of – uh, when he has to make plays out of structure or he's not making a simple half field read off the play action bootleg stuff that they've been running a lot of but you know what overall they scored 30 points in their past four games which i think is the first time they've done that since 1965 which i mean it speaks more towards the ineptitude of the bears franchise in terms of offense in general but still uh we're seeing really consistent good offensive football over the past month or month or so and that can't be you know, his play can't be discounted in that, but you do have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt in that, you know, is it sustainable long-term? I'm not too sure about that. But with that said, I, I think that's a good way to kind of end things there and transition to what we're going to be talking about today for today's episode. Like, so, like I said, uh, Bears Packers, this is a huge game coming up. We're going to be covering really a lot of previewing, a lot of stuff that's going to be you know important for that game this upcoming week on Sunday. Uh, We also have an exciting guest to get to as well. Mark Schofield is going to be joining us to talk about some major Bears storylines with the offense, as well as some of the top quarterback prospects in the strats kind of get another perspective on some of those guys going in here. We also have a ton to discuss, like we've mentioned before about the college football playoff preview, some of the biggest names to watch in that one, trying to focus a little bit on less on the quarterbacks. we covered Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields quite a bit, but you know, who are some of the other guys to really keep your eye on this Friday when that comes up. So a lot to get to a lot of fun stuff. And uh, we're going to get to that real quick, but before that, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from our sponsor.
1: The old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris
2: Wimmer. Join me on the legends of the old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen
3: like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to
2: life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Uh, moving on to our first topic for today's episode, it has to be previewing this Bears-Packers game. And, you know, you said it, it, it all comes down to this for the Bears in their 2020 season. Uh, You know, we've known this for the past couple of weeks, but the Bears, they do control their playoff destiny. And especially so this week when they face the Packers. And it it really comes down to this. If the Bears win, they are into the playoffs. If they lose, they'll need some help from the Rams uh, to beat the Cardinals in that matchup, which will also be going on at the same time as the Bears game. I think the games start at 325, I believe. They kind of flex those out on Sunday uh, so that they're both going on at the same time. So that's going to be a really nerve wracking uh, two or three hours there to kind of see how those two games play out. One thing to keep in mind for the Rams Cardinals game, uh, this could be difficult for the Rams because uh, Jared Goff in their game last week against the Seattle Seahawks, I don't know if it, what specifically it is, but he injured his thumb. I think it was either a dislocation or he broke his thumb and he had surgery on it. So he's not going to be playing in this game. Uh, kind of the worst timing possible for the Rams because the Rams, they had the possibility of, of not making the playoffs either if they lose and the Bears win. So they have a lot to play for in this game as well. And they're going to have their work cut out for them because John Wolford, who has never started an NFL game, the last time we've seen him, I think, was when the, uh, the old AAF was going. I think he led the AAF in passing yards uh, during that year when they were set up. Um, he's going to be getting the start instead of Jared Goff. So that's quite a time to be getting your first start as an NFL quarterback as an undrafted free agent whose last experience was in a minor football league. So you know it it really it comes down to this for the Bears. It's going to be tough. The Packers they're rolling right now. They have a lot to play for. They're going to be starting all their guys but the Bears they can't leave anything to chance here. This is a must-win game and It's going to be tough because the Packers, they are playing so well right now, and I just don't know how the Bears are going to match up in this one.
1: Right, and you mentioned the injury to Jared Goff. I think that is a broken thumb, and I believe he did have surgery on. That was reported yesterday, but another big thing to keep in mind is that Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray, and this directly affects the Bears. He's actually on schedule to play, and he said this morning, there's no holding back. I'll be fine. Now, when I look at this Cardinals-Rams games, obviously we have to be Bears fans on Sunday, too. I'm sorry, Rams fans on Sunday as well and root against the Cardinals. But I look at the significance of this game for the Bears and I dropped my article today on Bear Report. I was talking about it. listen, it. has been everyone still remembers that 2013 game where the Bears lost in week 17 at Soldier Field against Green Bay. This game is no different because if you beat Green Bay, you're in just like that year. If you beat Green Bay, you're in. Obviously, this is a different Bears team we've got different players all across the board there's definitely different Um, I think the only current Bear on the roster who was in that Green Bay game would be defensive back Sherrick McManus which he's been here since the Lovey Smith days right which just speaks to how valuable of a leader of a player he is around the organization but the Bears are gonna have to come out firing on all cylinders in this game they are gonna have to start really fast. Okay. Because if you give Aaron Rodgers and the way that the Packers are playing right now, if you mess up once or twice, they're going to turn your mistakes into their advantage. They're going to take advantage of those mistakes. And then what they will do is um, go ahead and really rack the score up. And we saw like in that week 12 game against green Bay, the bears cannot afford to fall behind because what happens is when you fall behind against green Bay, you're in a situation where essentially you're playing from behind and then that's when Green Bay really starts to heat up and they can begin to impose their will and do whatever they need. I mean, I would say that on the defensive side of the ball, the Bears need the pass rush. That means Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, Hicks, they need to heat up in this game and do it right from the start. All right. They have to bring the pressure. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, what has to happen is Mike Pettin's going to try and take the, pa- the Bears running game away. And that means that Mitch Trubisky is going to have to beat Green Bay through the air in this game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. With the way the Packers are, are kind of set up, um, you look at the way that they've kind of operated this season. They're a team that likes to get ahead early, um, and basically what that does is they know that they have, the, they have deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball in terms of their run defense and you know some of the weaknesses they have in the front seven in that end, but they have a lot of good pass rushers, starting with the Smith brothers and Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark, so they have four guys that can get after the quarterback at a very high level Um, and then in the secondary they have playmakers such as Jair Alexander Darnell Savage has really come on in his second year as a pro he's been fantastic at the safety position for them you know they have a lot of opportunistic players that will take advantage of mistakes you make at the quarterback position and and create turnovers. so you cannot get behind on these guys because they're just going to get very aggressive up front they're going to get after the quarterback and they're going to force you into mistakes and they'll just bury you like that. you know, they're not a great defense, but if you give them a chance to really pin their ears back, that's when you get into trouble as an offense going up against them on the defensive side of the ball. Like you said, you know, it's going to be tough because while I would say, yes, the pass rush does need to get going in this one, the Packers, they have the best offensive line of football right now. I don't think they're going to make it easy for the Bears pass rush. Unless Chuck McGon can find ways to kind of scheme up pressure and try and disguise some things and, and, confuse them a little bit but Aaron Rodgers and that offensive line are so such a smart unit such a well-coached unit that they just don't make those mistakes and allow free rushers on them so that's going to be tough it really comes down to can they somehow slow down Devontae Adams because Devontae Adams has been on an absolute tear this season and it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't matter who's covering him the guy just gets open at will and him and Rodgers have such a unique connection they just they're just able to know what each other is thinking at the same time and it's really fun to watch as someone um, trying to look at things objectively as like a football fan, but as a Bears fan, it drives you nuts because, you know, every time you need your defense to make a play on third down or in the red zone, there's nothing you can do, it seems like at times, because they're so good at just being able to make that one play um, that, that moves the chains and keeps things going, and it, that's going to be the main thing for them, because I feel like if they can get Jalen Johnson back at the outside corner position, I'm not sure about Buster screens available. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to play or not, but Jalen Johnson is going to be a key on the other side, um, because if they can figure out how to slow, you know, slow down Devontae Adams in any way possible, I don't think the Packers have enough other weapons to be able to break the game open on them from that standpoint. But it's going to be tough. Stopping Adams is a lot easier said than done. And uh, that's going to be really where this game starts on the offense side, on the defense side of the ball. If they can you know get a stop early on and be able to take advantage of that with points, that's going to be huge for this team. It really has to start out fast in the first half.
1: Right. And you you mentioned the Rogers to Devontae Adams connection. I mean, those two, I think like what, cause I remember, you know, watching the Packers six, seven, eight years ago, the guy on the offensive side of the ball was not just Aaron Rodgers in terms of wide receiver. It was Jordy Nelson. I th- really think that Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers have developed this connection, this chemistry that is so much bigger than anything that Rodgers had with Jordy Nelson, but looking at kind of the running backs, I mean, AJ Dillon, I think had two touchdowns in the Sunday night game against Tennessee, right? The focal point for green Bay in the running game going into the season was Aaron jones but that is really now developed into aj dylan too and green bay is here to show that okay listen we have this one-two punch of aj dylan and um aaron jones that we are going to impose and run the ball down your throat so right now the thing with green bay is they can win in any perfect any any kind of way they can win possible they can run the ball down your throat because they have a great offensive line that is going to just consistently block and do it on every single play and do it consistently well to allow the run game to function. But then if they fall behind, they can also just start passing the ball through the air. And I think another guy to keep an eye on in that green Bay aerial attack for the bears in this game is not, is going to be tight end Robert Tunyon because this is someone that was an undrafted free agent, spent some time on the Detroit Lions practice squad, but really burst onto the scene this year after Green Bay got rid of Jimmy Graham. And I'm not even sure if Mercedes Lewis is still on the Packers roster anymore and if he is. He's not being used very much anyway, but the Bears are going to have to account for Tunyon because that's someone that you can tell throughout the course of the year has developed into a big red zone threat and another just really reliable weapon and a great security blanket for Green Bay's offense and for Aaron Rodgers.
2: Yeah, for Bears fans that remember that game earlier in the season where the Packers just blew out the Bears and it just wasn't even close, you know Robert Tunyon had a great play on Eddie Jackson where they were kind of, I, wouldn't, I don't think it was man coverage necessarily, or maybe it was just passed off into Eddie Jackson's zone and, and Jackson just took a bad angle on it. But Tunyon basically, you know, he cooked Eddie Jackson on on a big touchdown play. And that one that kind of basically sealed the win for the Packers there. And they and they have to keep an eye on that to make sure that doesn't happen again. Again, I, I feel like the Bears should be able to manage and handle the other Bears. I mean, the other Packers receivers, I should say, besides Adams, I think they should be fine there, but they can't let them they can't let any of those guys get loose on a, on a deep play like that. They have to keep everything in front of them and force the Packers to drive, um, you know, 10, 12, 15 plays down the field in order to score a touchdown. And, you know, even the, with that said, the Packers, that's kind of what they want to do anyway, though. They, they, they're a team that thrives on big, long drives that, that kind of keep up, take up a lot of clock um, you know, time possession wise because they know that there's such an efficient offense in terms of scoring per drive. That it really puts a lot of pressure on the Bears on the other opposing team's offense to score on on every possession because, you know, the Packers' offense are so good this season. They just, they just, it seems like they're getting a touchdown every single time they get on the field. Your offense, this is this, if the Bears are going to win this game, it has to be in a shootout fashion. They're not, their defense is not going to be able to dominate this one whatsoever. I know Bears fans, that's going to be sacrilegious to them because, you know, we're a defensive minded team, we're a defensive minded franchise. We live, breathe defense in order to win games. And not only is that just not the direction this, this league is going in terms of being an offensive-minded league, but specifically for this game, it's, it's not going to be pretty at times because it's going to have to be an offensive game for the Bears. So on, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they're going to have to maximize every single possession that they have. And they're going to have to get touchdowns, not just field goals in this one, because if they sell for field goals, or turn the ball over, especially like they did in the last time they played, they're going to have no chance because the Packers, they're going to go down, they're going to be scoring touchdowns this, in this game. You know, if you could, if the, for the Bears' defense, if they can get one or two stops um, early on, I'll be happy with that, but my expectation is for the Packers to basically run up and down the field at will. Maybe the Bears will make a couple key plays here and there on defense, but this is going to have to be up to the offense. If they, if they don't show up in this one like they have the, the past few weeks, They have no chance. Simple as that.
1: Right. And the thing is, right, is the Bears need to, you know, it's a generalization statement to say the Bears need to win this game, but I'll elaborate on that in just a bit here. The Bears have to win this game and they have to win it themselves because they can't come out and lose this game. And they simply can't rely on the Rams to go out and win the game because Jared Goff this year has been, you know, so up and down. He's just too inconsistent for the Rams to consistently win games and do it at will. The Rams have been winning a lot of games on the heels of their defense, and former Bear Leonard Floyd is having a career year. But the point is, it's like, listen, the Bears can't rely on the Rams to win their matchup against the Cardinals. Chicago is just going to have to come in and really just end up winning this game outright if they are going to make the playoffs. And if they do, you know, then you're looking at potentially a matchup against New Orleans or Seattle. or I think there's even a scenario where Green Bay can drop down to the two seed because the saints do hold the tiebreaker over the bears. And so we could be talking about a potential bears Packers wild card matchup, but that's obviously for about two to three weeks down the road. But first needs to happen is the bears have to win on Sunday and they can't rely on anyone else to um, win or lose their games for the bears to solidify themselves as the seven seed in the playoffs.
2: Yeah. And we know that Aaron Rodgers would love nothing more than to break the hearts of all bears fans. Again, and just put a dagger through all of us (laughs) by, by beating us now and and kicking us out of the playoffs. You know, that's, that's what he does. He's the boogeyman for this franchise. It seems like, you know, up there in in Wisconsin, and it would be nice for the bears to be able to get one here. And again, like I said, it's going to have to start with the offense. You know, I don't think it's a, it's a exaggeration to say that the bears, they do need to play a perfect game for them um, in order to win this one. The Packers, they just have a huge advantage, I think on them. Um, We look at that. These teams on paper. So the bears, they had to step up to the plate here. We'll see if they can do it. You know, I'm not going to say I'm very confident. Um, You say, what's your, what's your prediction for this game? What do you think the uh, final outcome will be for this one?
1: So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and be a little bit optimistic. I think that just hearing and obviously listening to reading a lot of the stuff that is coming out of house hall, just in these zoom press conferences, I would definitely say that Matt Nagy and the Bears are fired up. They are in a different space just mentally compared to where they were five to six weeks ago in that first matchup against Green Bay. But I think it is going to be a scrappy game because both teams are going to have to scratch and claw for everything. And I really think that – so being optimistic here, score prediction is Bears 24, Green Bay 20.
3: Okay. A little bit lower
2: scoring than I thought – think it's going to be but you know I'll, I'll be honest Aaron Rodgers has broken my heart way too many times for me to, to bet against him unfortunately so I, I think for me I'm gonna have to go with the Packers in this one and the Bears are going to be have. we're going to have to rely on the Rams to somehow get away with the backup quarterback I know it's going to be tough to, to say but um that's I, I've seen this movie play out way too many times before and uh, for me, I'm going to take the Packers 31 to 28. It's going to be close. I, I do believe that the bears are going to make it a fight. I think their offense will do some nice things early on to stay, stay, uh, stay with the Packers in this one. But um, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to Mitch Trubisky making plays at the end of the game. And I'm sorry, he's played better. Like we've said before earlier um, over the last couple of weeks for this offense. I just, I don't trust him. I don't trust him to make the big play um, at the end of the game to kind of get this team a win and, um again, that's that's where my mindset is. And again, it's Aaron Rodgers late in the season. He's got something to prove this season. He's pissed off Aaron Rodgers this year. It's hard to bet against him in this environment with the playoffs right around the corner. So that's my prediction. Hopefully the Rams can beat the Cardinals. I think they do have a chance in that one, but we will see how this all plays out. All I know is it's gonna be a very uh very exciting and very stressful couple hours on this upcoming sunday and hopefully that means it's a lot of fun for us bears fans that they can get they can kind of find a way to sneak into the playoffs here but we'll see what happens there all right we have an interview coming up with mark Schofield. uh you said sat down with him and really discussed some interesting stuff here so we're going to get to that um but before we do that we're going to take our second break of the show with another word from our sponsor
1: Joining us now, though, on the Picks for Pace podcast, we've got Mark Schofield on the other line. He does some great work on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, what's going on? Thanks so much for being on here. Oh, Thank you so much for having me.
3: Really appreciate it. I'm excited to start talking about the draft now that the NFL season's coming to a close, although Bears fans are probably hoping the season lasts a little bit longer than just this next Sunday. So I'm excited to be here, excited to talk some Trubisky, some quarterbacks and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's it's definitely weird because it doesn't feel – I know we're sitting here like, you know, a day before 2020 is going to end. It's kind of hard to believe that, okay, the season went and flew by so quickly. A lot of college games were canceled. The NFL was shuffling games around. The Bears, thankfully, didn't have any games that need to be moved around. But we got to get – you know, let's get right into our first question here. I mean, let's talk about Trubisky because he gets drafted over Mahomes and Watson. And he, living here in Chicago, I mean, for the last 13 years, that's a narrative that Bears fans are just so tired of hearing about. But – You know, when we look at the recent resurgence that he's had, what are your thoughts on that, on his play over the last six or so weeks?
3: I mean, I think you said he has played better. And I I think that, you know, we're hearing in the past couple of days, the past week or so, that there's a thought that they could bring him back next year. I know Adam Schefter reported that before last weekend. And I, I certainly understand why that sentiment has grown around Chicago, because, You know, this was a team that was winning games with him. They decided to make the switch to Nick Foles. And there was always the question mark about what they were going to do with Trubisky. They declined his fifth-year option. But you have seen in the past couple of weeks some improvement, some steadier play. Um, There's been obviously a move to cater the offense to his strengths in a way that has actually sort of shown on the field and in the results as well. You've seen them move him around a bit. You've seen them design some quick throws, get him outside of the pocket, give him some half-field reads. All those sorts of things have been very beneficial for him. And so from Chicago's standpoint, I understand why, where they are right now on the cusp of perhaps linking them, uh, locking down a playoff spot, you might not be in a position to draft one of the top four, top five quarterbacks uh, because of where you might be in the draft. And so you might be more inclined, you know, to give Trubisky perhaps a short-term deal because of what you've seen in recent weeks. You've seen some things that have worked. Perhaps if you get some help around him, you bring back Allen Robinson, you're like, you know, the, the rookie wide receiver, Daryl Mooney, you might have something to work with there. And so I think there has been improvement. Um, there have still been some mistakes. There have still been some bad throws. There's have been some miscues. Uh, but overall, I've been impressed with what he's done in recent weeks.
1: So do you think that his recent resurgence, I mean, I know you've touched on it, just with the first question of, yeah, he has been better. But overall, he has not, like, to a lot of us, right, it hasn't been to the point where he's completely taking over games. I still think he's a game manager at this point because he's not the reason the Bears are winning games. Do you think a bit of his resurgence is because of the talent around him, like David Montgomery, like an Allen Robinson? Even in some cases, Jimmy Graham has had a bit of a career revival year this year. Can you maybe just touch on that? Yeah, I mean – Especially for,
3: I mean, it's true for all quarterbacks, but for quarterbacks that have struggled at times, the more help you can put around them, both in terms of the talent and the schematics, the better they're going to be. And, you know, as somebody that covered Mitchell Trubisky from his draft to some of the work I did in recent years with Pro Football Weekly, where I write a weekly Trubisky breakdown, you know what you've seen in the past couple of weeks is much better than some of the stuff I've seen, even some of the better games that you've seen from Trubisky over his career in Chicago, you know, and when he's making quicker decisions when he's getting outside of the pocket and you rely more on his athleticism, which is where I always thought he was better when he was on the move. You know, that's been a big part of it. I I do think it's important to caution though, you know, part of the recent success you know, the loss to Detroit, he played well in that game. Um, but then you get Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville, three pretty bad teams with some pretty bad defenses. You know, so I do think that there's a word of context that's necessary. But still, look, it, it, you're, if you're a team that's on the cusp of the playoffs, if you're a quarterback that has had some ups and downs but is playing better right now, And if you're in a situation where you might bring this guy back, it's clear that the organization sees a way to make him a quarterback that maybe he's not the guy that you win games because of, maybe he's not the guy that elevates everybody around him, but you can win games with him. And the guys that you win games because of at the quarterback position, there's maybe 8, 10 of those in the league. The far majority of quarterbacks are guys that you win games with. And if Trubisky can be that kind of guy, you can see this team having success in 2021 too.
1: Right. And a lot of for a lot of Bears fans, you know, there's essentially that split because it's like, okay, if you bring him back, who are you kind of trading? Right. Because for some fans, it's like if we bring Trubisky back, we don't have the money. We obviously want to re-sign Allen Robinson, but it's going to have to come at the expense of a big name guy on defense like Akeem Hicks, for example. But kind of switching over here to the 2021 NFL draft. I mean, there's been a lot of talk over the last few weeks, right, about, well, Zach Wilson has Surpassed and even solidified himself as QB2 in this draft. Do you think Wilson has done enough to surpass Justin Fields, or do you think it's just because Wilson is playing some lesser competition?
3: It's interesting, you say, because going into this year, I wanted to see from Justin Fields improvement in the mental aspect of the game. I don't think everybody's questioning Justin Fields from an athletic standpoint. What I wanted to see was him be faster with his decisions. If you watch him from 2019, you watch that game against Clemson, for example, he would get to the right decision with what to do with the football, but it would take too long and he'd miss opportunities as as a result. He had a a near interception on a third down early in that game. He had a miss in the end zone that could have been big for Ohio State that he missed because he was late. And I thought, look, if he could speed himself up, he'd be a much better prospect. And I thought he was doing that, but then he had the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern when he was slow again. Now, they were missing one of his favorite targets. The wide receiver was out. Um, So I'm curious to see how he looks this weekend. We're recording this on Wednesday. Obviously, they've got, you know, national playoff game on on Friday afternoon. So I want to see if he can be faster with his mind. But that's what's holding him back. And as that's happened, particularly the Big Ten championship game, Zach Wilson has lit the world on fire. And he has the things that you want at the quarterback position now, the athleticism, the ability to make plays outside of the pocket, off of structure, certainly has the arm talent to play in the National Football League. And so when you start seeing people like Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler start talking, look, this guy's QB2, period, they're hearing it from places too. The the teams probably have Zach Wilson at QB2 on their board. Now, there's a lot of work left to be done. And if Justin Fields goes out Friday and lights the world on fire and plays like the guy I think he can be, there will be people that revisit him. Um, And both of those guys, you know, the thing about Trevor Lawrence that sets him apart is he's schematically diverse. Like You could drop him into Chicago's offense. You could drop him into New England's offense. You could drop him into any offense and he's going to be fine. Wilson, Fields, Trey Lance, these guys might need a better, you know, scheme fit around them to really be the quarterback they can be. And so there might be some teams that prefer Wilson. There might be some teams that prefer Fields. There might be some teams that look at Trey Lance, but I do think overall for many people, Wilson has done enough to say, you know, he's the most exciting guy right now. Fields still has some question marks around him. There will be people that scout the helmet and say, look at Dwayne Haskins, look at some of these other Ohio State quarterbacks. When have we seen a good Ohio State quarterback? They've got such talent around them. It's more impressive that a guy like Wilson can have the success he does with the guys around him. Then, you know, Justin Fields does with first round offensive linemen, first round wide receivers around him, first round talent all around him. And so for many, they're going to look at that and say Fields is our guy.
1: Yeah, Fields is definitely, you know, he's, he's going to be one of those names to kind of monitor throughout the pre-draft process, right? Because like you said, I think teams are going to view his lack of processing speed as an issue because the game is just sped up so fast. And we have seen guys like, we just talked about it, right? Like Mr. Trubisky, for example. I mean, he was a guy coming out of UNC that was somewhat viewed as being a slow processor, right? And we've seen how that's kind of panned out in the pros. Wow. But, you know, you kind of answered our next question, which was going to be, are Justin Fields struggles legit, legitimately something to be concerned about. But let's kind of get into Trey Lance now. And Lance, I think, is interesting because he's North Dakota State. So North Dakota State University obviously has not played against a lot of the schools that a guy like Mac Jones or a Kyle Trask would play against. But what impact do you think not having that final season is going to have on Trey Lance's stock? Because I think the consensus right now is that he is still QB4 in a first-round pick.
3: Yeah, and I I think that's probably where he'll end up. Um, It wouldn't surprise me to see him come off the board in the top 10. Um, What's fascinating about Lance is you talk about sort of the scheme fit, and he's somebody that's going to check some boxes for, I think, a lot of NFL coaches and scouts because North Dakota State's offense is more of that, quote, pro-style offense where the quarterback is under center. He's making play-action fakes. He's turning his back to the defense on those all those little things that you sometimes see NFL quarterbacks have to do on a down-to-down basis. And some of the things that you see guys that come from these more spread offenses where you're in the shotgun, a lot of your run fakes, your RPO action is happening with your eyes still downfield facing the line of scrimmage. It's much different when you have to turn your back to the defense because the pitcher in the secondary can change while that's happening, and it cuts down your decision-making time, and it really stresses your process and speed to the point where we're just making about fields. And so a lot of people will like that about Trey Lance. He has the arm. He has the athleticism. You know, with these four guys at the top, there's no questions about arm strength. You know, sometimes we have a guy that's, you know, really good, but you wonder about does he have the NFL arm. All four of those guys do. So that's not a worry with Lance. The worry is look, the level of competition, like you said, you know, one full year at an FCS school, and then the one showcase game, which he wasn't great in. You know, he had that one game against Central Arkansas this year and struggled a bit. So, you know, with Wilson's rise, with what Fields offers from an upside standpoint, and obviously Trevor Lawrence, Lance is going to be QB4. It's just a question of what if one of those guys like Trask or Jones can surpass him. But I think, you know, looking at him overall – Lance is probably guy for that I'd look at. Um, but I am intrigued by some of the other two. But Lance is going to check a lot of those pro style play action, under center type of boxes. And you could drop him into, I'd say, you know, Kyle Shanahan's offense right now. And Trey Lance would be just fine. But in some other different offenses, it might be a bit more of a struggle.
1: So you mentioned the offensive fit for Trey Lance. And this is I think it's kind of interesting because like I mean, I know so many people that like obviously the draft's a big thing right and scheme fit plays a big role into it and whatnot but do you think that let's just say a guy like greg roman gets a head coaching gig somewhere and you know somewhere in the nfl next year do you think trey lance could thrive in a similar in a system similar to lamar Lamar jackson absolutely
3: i mean I, i think you know
1: that's one of the good things
3: about you know some of these guys near the top whether it's you know i Justin Fields, I think, could work in that offense. Trey Lance certainly is athletic enough to work in that offense. When you do a lot from the quarterback from a run standpoint and do that stuff to play 11 on 11 in the run game, you know, when you see Baltimore with the counter bash and the stuff that they do, Trey Lance could certainly run that kind of offense, you know, and I think where Lance might run into trouble. Or offenses like, say, New England's, which is, you know, what it looked like under Tom Brady, not so much this year, where everything was timing and rhythm in the passing game. Like, he can do that. But that's going to be, I think, the biggest type of adjustment for Trey Lance. And so, you know, if Greg Roman gets a head coaching job somewhere, I think Fields would be a fit for what they want to do offensively. I think Lance would be a fit for what they want to do offensively. You know, but I think those more time and rhythm based offenses will be tough for Fields and for Lance because of some of the things they were asked and more accurately weren't asked to do in college.
1: Got it. That's really cool. I did not think of it from that perspective, but let's talk about like Mac Jones and Kyle Trask here because For a lot of Bears fans right now, the consensus seems to be, okay, if Mitch Trubisky's not back next year, we are going to have to take another swing at the quarterback position, whether that's Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy who are taking that swing or it's Pace with a new head coach or it's Nagy with a new GM. But a lot of people seem to have Mac Jones as QB5. And if the Bears do end up making the playoffs, I think Mac Jones is going to be on the board by the time they are picking in that early 20s range. So what are your thoughts on Mac Jones as a prospect?
3: I think he's intriguing. I think there's a lot of – there's a lot of things that we saw in Joe Burrow that you see to a lesser extent, but they're still there with Mac Jones. You know, one of the things that I think is so critical for quarterbacks coming out of college to be successful early is the ability to be athletic enough, mobile enough, and to create space in the pocket. You don't have to be a super athlete, but you have to be able to create space with your footwork in the pocket and have a feel for the pocket around you. And Mac Jones does that and does it, I think, pretty well. And so I think he's not going to be like a statue back there, as we've seen from Dwayne Haskins. Obviously there were other issues with Dwayne Haskins, but the days of the like battleship type of quarterback that just is a statue in the pocket. Those are gone. Like you have to be able to move to create space to create outside the pocket and off of structure. And Jones can do some of that. He's also very accurate in the short and intermediate areas of the field. And so if you're thinking about potentially a Matt Nagy kind of offense, if he's still there next year and coach it into a quarterback, that's where their offense tends to operate is in that short and intermediate area of the field. A lot of those West coast offense elements that creep into Nagy's system and you need accuracy, time and rhythm and placement on those throws. That was one of the things that Mitch Trubisky struggled with was you would have a route schemed open, a concept schemed open. But if the ball's not coming out on time and rhythm, what could have been an eight yard throw and then 15 yards after the catch is an eight yard throw and a nine yard gain because the window closes, the coverage closes if the ball's late, and you can't get that yardage after the catch. And so Jones's ability to make on-time accurate throws in those areas of the field would be a good fit for a Matt Nagy system.
1: Got it. And then what about Kyle Trask? Because he brings, I feel like, a lot to the table to really like, but then there's also certain things that hold him back.
3: Yeah, and I think one of the main things, the questions that I have on Trask is, you know and I'm curious to see how he looks because he's going to be playing later tonight again, recording this on Wednesday. You know, how he looks in the pocket because that mobility, that pocket movement that I just talked about with Jones, that's one of the things that I think could hold Trask back. That's one of the things that might see him sort of fall out of the first round because he doesn't quite have the athletic ability, the mobility that these other guys do. No, he certainly has it from an arm standpoint, and he's put up some really good numbers this year. Obviously, had some great weapons, Kyle Pitts you know, the matchup nightmare tight end, who's a first round pick as well. You know, Tony, that wide receiver, that people are starting to talk about as a potential first round pick Trask has the arm. He does a lot of the things you like to see at the position, but it's that mobility question that I think could be the thing that sees him fall out of the first round, or at least deep into the twenties as we start thinking about the first round of the NFL draft.
1: Got it. And so last one here, do you have any sleeper quarterbacks For this upcoming draft class that you think just people in general should be keeping an eye on? I mean, maybe someone like, you know, I know Dak Prescott a couple years ago was not talked about heavily and he's all of a sudden risen to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But any sleepers that Bears fans or just draft fans in general should be keeping an eye on?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of next guy that I would bring up is Desmond Ritter, the kid from Cincinnati. Um, I, in talking to some people around different teams, there's a lot of excitement about, you know, seeing what this kid has, seeing what he offers. Um, athleticism throws well on the move, can create outside of structure, can create outside of the pocket. You know, I've, I've had some people coming up to me saying, look, if you watch this kid yet, you have to watch him. And when I got a chance to dive into, him, I did like what I saw. Um, so he's probably someone that's more of a day two pick, uh, probably second round, maybe slides to the third. But if you start thinking, look, maybe Chicago goes in a different direction, of quarterback, they bring Trubisky back, they address a different position in the first round, but they want to draft somebody on day two because they want to have a much, you know, a better plan to be behind Mitchell Trubisky. He's somebody that I think Bears fans might want to take a look at.
1: Gotcha. Uh well, yeah, I know Ritters is really interesting, and I've yet to uh dive into him, but hopefully you're going to be doing that here over the next couple of weeks. But that's about it from me, Mark. Thanks so much for being on here. Thanks so much for having me. Had a blast. Absolutely. And just one last thing. Where do you know, where can people find your work? I know I plugged your Twitter handle, which is at Mark Schofield, but where specifically can people read all your stuff? Yeah, I mean, the best
3: way is on Twitter, like you said, you plug the handle there. Um, but USA Today's touchdown wire, um, covering the NFL with myself, Doug Ferrar. Um, do a couple of different sh- podcasts over at Vox, um, a Pat's Pulpit podcast, uh, a Bleeding Green radio podcast, QB Factory. Uh, but the easiest ways, like you said, on Twitter, you plug the handle, you'll find the work all there.
1: All right, and that was Touchdown Wire's very own Mark Schofield. Once again, you can follow him on Twitter, at Mark Showfield. Like Mark said, go ahead and check out all the awesome content that he has to offer.
2: And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Uh, that was a nice interview that you said you had with Mark Schofield, really gave us a lot of interesting information there to talk about with the Bears and uh, some of these upcoming quarterback prospects, uh, a lot of great little nuggets there to kind of keep in mind when we get to the pre-draft process and things of that nature over the next coming upcoming months. So now we shift our focus to this upcoming, this Friday uh, with the college football po- po- college football playoff, I should say on uh, new year's day, uh, two games to look forward to here. You have Clemson versus Ohio state, a rematch from last season, um, college football playoff semifinal, and then Alabama versus Notre Dame. Um, that'll be another interesting to watch as well. So, you know, we can obviously go on and on about the quarterbacks in this one. When you look at Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Ian Book even you know with their draft stock going into this upcoming draft but there are a lot of other prospects to keep in mind for this one and kind of keep your eyes on to keep you know to keep watching this game um, or these games I should say and you know you say I'll start with you who's one player that you're looking forward to seeing uh, this Friday that you think Bears fans should be uh, keeping their attention on besides the obvious quarterbacks that are going to be a big showcase for those guys.
1: Yeah, so the first guy that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, we touched on this last week with Nick Nick Shepkowski, right, our mm-hmm. Notre Dame guy who came on. But I want to see what Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah owosu koroma can do because when I look at him, right, and I know I've raved about him on the podcast before, this is really someone that I look at and I see the ability to be a modern-day NFL linebacker, okay? The size is there, the speed is there. And then you look at just his ability to cover against tight ends and slot receivers – That value, added value in coverage, is something that modern-day NFL defensive coordinators really covet, okay? And then the last thing about him, I think, is that he is someone that's really burst onto the scene halfway through last year, took his game to another level this year. And so now when I look at it, I realize, okay, this is someone that has solidified himself as a first-round pick, and some team is going to look at him and say, oh, my God, there is so much untapped potential there that I – that we see and that if we can really hone into that potential he has the ability and the makings of being a future superstar in this league because I look at a lot of the linebackers that have come out of the NFL or that I've come out of college last year that have been drafted obviously Roquan Smith comes to mind right but then you have guys like Devin Bush I know the Steelers drafted uh Someone to Devin something, I totally forgot his name. I think it's Devin Taylor, right? Uh, Fred Warner's another guy. A lot of these, and Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, right? A lot of these guys had that same skill set that Karoma did coming out. And so I'm excited to see what Karoma does against a high powered Alabama offense.
2: Yeah, that'll be interesting because they have off- offensive linemen and a running back in Najee Harris that can challenge him um, in the running game, uh, in the box there, working there, trying to be physical in the run game. But in pass coverage, too, he's going to have to worry about not necessarily covering wide receivers one-on-one, but there's going to be situations situation where he's matched up against some of these wide receivers um, in zone coverages in the passing game. So it'll be interesting to see how he holds up. I, I know he definitely has the athleticism and the coverage instincts, I think, to be able to make it, I guess, more of a fair fight, so to speak. But it's going to be tough because the Alabama, they have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball, like you said. And they're going to test him in a lot of ways. I think he hasn't been tested uh, so far this year, but I'm going to stick with Alabama for the first guy I'm watching. And that's going to be Alex Leatherwood, offensive, t- offensive tackle for them. He plays left tackle. Uh, really. I think he started for the last two or three years or so. So a guy that has a lot of experience, a lot of uh, film to watch of him under his belt. And he's going to be something to watch for the bears fans out there because you know, we've mentioned this so many times with the Bears, they're going to be in need of, a, of an offensive tackle at some point in this draft, whether it's on day one in the first round or day two in, in the second or third round, and Leatherwood is going to be one of many options on the first two days of the draft, really in the first two rounds, I'd say. Um, he's one of those players that's kind of on the borderline of being a first-round uh, prospect or a second-round prospect it kind of depends on how he tests and how he does in the, in the pre-draft prospect on, and workouts and stuff like that, but like I said, he's been a starter at left tackle at Alabama for a few years now, and he's as reliable as they come for college left tackles. You know, he's got sufficient size, good length. He moves pretty well for a guy of his size, and, he, and he's got some pretty polished footwork and, and overall technique as well. Although it, it, it's not maybe on the, on the level of a Liam Eichenberg, uh, from Notre Dame, so to speak, but he's someone that's not a complete project. You know, he's someone that I think would be able to, play right away at the nfl level and hold up decently well at either left or right tackle he does have some struggles um on tape when it comes to you know being able to hold up anchoring against powerful tackles and dealing with some speedy rushers here and there but you know i think he is a solid talent overall there are cons- some concerns about what his upside is because he's he's started for such a long time i don't think he's necessarily improved at the level that a lot of uh, scouts would have liked to see from him but he's still improved enough where you've seen progression year and year and year out and he i think he's a very solid prospect and you know we'll we'll see how he does because at notre dame they do have a very talented front seven uh, especially up front on the on the defensive line and you know if he can hold up well in pass protection and i think he's a very solid run blocker as well that'll go a long way towards solidifying where he goes in this draft.
1: Yeah, Leatherwood's one of those guys right now that I do think is gonna be a first rounder because when I it just it just seems that this there's a consensus of we know Panacea well from Oregon is O T one. Then you have Rashawn Slater, Christian Derisall, and um, Liam Eichenberg who are kind of People flip-flop those guys between OT two, three, and four, and then Leatherwood's in that conversation too. As definitely one of the, he's definitely a top five tackle in this class, in my opinion. Now, my second guy, and I'm sticking with the Notre Dame front seven, like you alluded to, would be defensive end Dalen Hayes, and that's someone that I look at and I say, okay, right off the bat, that is somebody that has all the necessary tools to come in and to be a NFL starter or just be a rotational defensive end that for any defense. And I think that when we look at it in the context of the Bears, we know that 2021 is probably going to be Robert Quinn's last season. All right, Travis Gibson has been inactive for most of the season. When he's gotten out there, he's shown great burst. But if the Bears were to go ahead and to take a chance on Hayes, I definitely would not be mad at it because I realize okay, that is somebody that you can go ahead and plug and play right away. Even, like I said, even if it's as a rotational guy, you are going to see the valuable results. And we've seen the, over the last couple of years, especially with, like, Jay Rogers being one of the best coaches on the Bears staff that the Bears are able to find a lot of guys in the front seven that can come in and just be good depth pieces. But because of good coaching, they're able to bring out the best in them. I mean, a, a good example of that is Belal Nichols, right? It was a fifth round pick in 2018. All right. Rotational guy year one, and now he's really burst onto the scene and is playing himself into an entirely new contract with the Bears. So keep an eye on Hayes when you're watching Notre Dame versus Alabama this weekend.
2: Yeah, and you can never have too many pass rushers up front, I think. And like you said, the Bears, they've done a good job of developing some of these guys. We would like to see a little bit more from some of the edge production, I think, based off what they've invested in that position. But again, this class is very deep with edge rushing talent and maybe not as much so in the interior guys, but definitely on the edge they have some guys in this class that the Bears can really take a chance on late day two, early day three, and maybe get some good production out of some of these guys. Um, So I'm going to switch over to the other game on Friday for uh, the next guy that I'm going to be talking about. And that's going to be Sean Wade, cornerback out of Ohio State. Um, You know, for those who may not know of Wade as much, he had a very memorable playoff moment last year in the college football playoff semifinal when he was ejected for what I thought was a very questionable targeting call uh, on a hard hit. He he, uh, served out to Trevor Lawrence, um, kind of had some incidental, head-to-head contact there, helmet-to-helmet contact, I should say, and that ejected him from the game. And he was expected to play a much bigger role for the Ohio State defense this season. He he was more of a – just purely a slot cornerback last season. And, you know, he's in transition to the outside to be an outside corner. He struggled a little bit playing on the perimeter. And, you know, there are some questions about whether he is a natural – outside cornerback or not or whether he's more of a hybrid safety type of player to where you know you can play him in the deep zone uh, maybe playing a little bit in the box here and there match up against bigger wide receivers in the slot or against kind of smaller tight ends or maybe if he's just a a more of a natural nickel cornerback at at the next level but i don't know there are a lot of questions about sean wade i don't think anyone can question his talent level he's certainly a very talented player but he's going to get tested quite a bit in this game because clemson Uh, not only do they have Trevor Lawrence who is an outstanding quarterback who's going to you know try and pick apart this defense in many ways and he's going to exploit some matchups uh, that he thinks that he can take advantage of in this game but Clemson they have a talented group of wide receivers as well and you know Amari Rogers is is among the many guys that they have on on that team um, that can make plays in the air for them and He's gonna have his work cut out for him um, because I don't know what what they're gonna role they're gonna use for him in this game, who's who he's gonna be tracking in this game. But uh, he's he's been kind of exposed a little bit on the outside at cornerback this year. And if he can have a strong performance in this one, that would be that would really help him out because he's gonna to have to answer a lot of questions about what position he's gonna play in the NFL when we get to that point. And if he can show some things at outside cornerback in this game, that'll help him a lot in terms of the versatility aspect of his game.
1: Yeah. Sean Wade's definitely one of the more intriguing prospects because we have seen guys come out over the last couple of years and yeah, they play like one set position in college. Like you mentioned with Wade, he start out in the slot and then transitioned to playing on the outside. Now I think that, but then there were always questions of where would he really fit in the NFL. And I think that those are types of players that it's like, just depends on whatever team they get drafted by and how the defensive coordinator plans to use them. Right. Like you mentioned with Wade, he could be a very hybrid safety role. I think that I'm not comparing um, Isaiah Simmons who got drafted by the Cardinals directly to Sean Wade. Cause they're two different players with different skill sets. but yeah, it is kind of, Sean Wade is that guy for me this year in terms of where do you use him? How do you use him to get the best production out of him? That's going to be the biggest question that Sean Wade will need to answer and that NFL teams will need to answer should they consider drafting a guy like Sean Wade. Now, with that said, though, the versatility, that hybrid, that's never a bad thing because the NFL is kind of transitioning into kind of especially on the defensive side of the ball, teams value players that can bring that. It's just, can the defensive coordinator get the most out of it? Now, I know for me, the last prospect that I'm looking at, originally I mentioned Devontae Smith, right? who I know Dane Brugler from the Athletics comparing him to Marvin Harrison, right? He is a guy that plays bigger than his size, but I'm going to switch it up a bit. And I'm going to go with Ohio State's Chris Olave. And Chris Olave is a guy that I feel like lost in all the hype about, you know, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase and Rondell Moore and all these other guys that are projected to be first-round picks. Chris Olave is kind of forgotten about, and I think that this is a game that is another opportunity for him to get his name back out there. Because Olave's had a phenomenal 2020 season, all right? He's a great route runner. He is not necessarily going to blow you away but his long with his long speed. But the long speed is a tremendous asset in his game. And then the last point that I'll make about Olave is that uh, he has no trouble at all separating, right? And that's very clear on every single route he runs. And so that's a player that I look at, and I think he's like six one or something, right? I totally forgot his height. But Olave is someone that I think you can play him on the outside or – In the NFL, or you can at least play him in the slot. And if he does play in the slot, you just have to continue to feed him the ball. Because as a slot receiver in the league, that's where you do make a lot of your money, is not necessarily on big plays, but on high volume production.
2: Yeah, being able to separate is probably the most important trait to look for in a wide receiver when translating to the NFL. Because if you're able to separate at a high level in college, that should work out for you in the NFL once you get um more seasoning under you and one of the things that i really like about olave's game is you know he doesn't really stand out a lot physically you know he's not the biggest guy in the world he's not the fastest or quickest or most explosive wide receiver in this class for sure but he's a very polished route runner he just knows how to read defenses and zone coverage he knows how to set up his defenders and man coverage he knows he just knows how to get open and some of those guys yeah may, they may not test well at the combine and, and, and things like that but again the, the tape doesn't lie in that sense you know this guy just knows how to get open he knows how to play wide receiver at a very high level and i think he's going to really uh be a good asset to a team i don't know if he's a day 1 prospect because of the lack of upside maybe but certainly he's one of those guys that i think is going to be drafted on day 2 of the draft and he's going to get immediate playing time and play a really big role for a team right away and teams are going to wonder how did we pass up on this guy early on in the draft i could definitely see that happening Um, The last guy for me, I'm going to stick with Ohio State for the last guy I'm covering. Uh, Going to the defensive side of the ball once again, uh, I'm going to go with Baron Browning, uh, linebacker for them. Uh, To me, he's a very underrated linebacker prospect. There's a lot of talented linebackers in this draft class, I feel like. And Browning kind of goes under the radar in the sense that, you know, he hasn't really gotten a lot of big playing time over his career at Ohio State. But man, when you watch him just fly around the ball, he's all the physical tools that you look for for a linebacker in today's modern NFL, and you're looking for these guys that can play all three downs, that can cover running backs out of the backfield and tight ends um, in the slot. He's he's the full package in, in terms of that. He's big uh, and strong, you know, at six foot three, 240 pounds. You know, we talked about how Roquan Smith's size at times can kind of hold him back in run support because he just doesn't have the ability to take on blocks at a high level that's not really the case with baron browning he's got the size where he can take on blocks at the point of attack but he also has that speed moving sideline to sideline to where there's no worries about him you know shutting down those outside stretch zones or or getting on tight ends and running backs and coverage moving sideline to sideline in that aspect so he has all those tools to be a three down linebacker it's just about him getting more experience and kind of honing in those instincts um, that are kind of a little bit behind at this point and uh, the one thing I lo- really like about his game, kind of talking about how he will translate to the NFL, I kind of discussed this with Sean Wade and how he's a versatile player in the secondary. Brown's a very versatile player in terms of what you can ask him to do at, at the linebacking position because, you know, he's played, you know, a bunch of different roles at Ohio State where he's sometimes being used as a pure Mike linebacker, where he's taking on blocks, or as a strong side where he's taking on blocks and um, kind of being you know, kind of that shield for their other linebackers and secondary players so they can make tackles. But he's played a lot more outside linebacker this season at Ohio State, so kind of a little bit more room to operate in space for their defense. And he's really thrived in that role because it kind of shows off those traits that he has in coverage to be able to uh, get into guys in man-to-man and and show some things in zone coverage. So I think he's somebody that he's going to test really well when he gets to the combine and pro days. And we're going to see his name really start to fly up draft boards um, over the next couple of months because there is a lot of talent there. And it's just a matter of can coaching get the most out of him at this point.
1: Yeah, Baron Brownie's an interesting case study because he is someone that I know for the last couple of years kind of got, like you mentioned, buried on the Ohio State depth chart. I think there was a point where he was like, the third or fourth string linebacker. But yeah, the potential is definitely there. The ability to be a true three down linebacker, I think that that is something that, you know, is there as well. It's just, can the right coach, can the right defensive staff and coordinators kind of bring out the best in him? And I would really kind of agree with what you said. I think that every single year, there tend to be a handful of prospects that No one's really talking about in the fall. And then when it does get to draft season, when, you know, we are at the senior bowl, we are at the NFL scouting combine, you do see teams bringing guys in for those pre-draft, you know, those like 30, 35 visits that every NFL team's allowed. Baron Browning is a guy. And then obviously with the pro days, right. Baron Browning is one of those guys that is going to go ahead and kind of vault up draft boards. He's in that category of like sleepers, but it's kind of a late bloomer onto the scene in terms of what he can become. And I think that right now, when I look at it, like if you were to ask me right now on December 30th, 2020, what do you think Baron Browning's draft projection is? Right now, I would say that it's probably a third round pick right a third or a fourth rounder but if he does real well in the interviews if he tests real well at the combine if he blows people away on his pro days right then what on the osu pro day what will happen is there's a serious case to be made that some team will potentially draft him as a late second round pick because the production uh, just the skill set that he brings is really valuable and i think that any time that you can get like a future starter you know on day two or even early day three even if that guy takes a year to develop then that's a draft prospect that you've really hit on because those are the types of players that you're in terms of financial financial terms right you are going to get four years of really cheap play out of them and then when it does come time to talk extension you are going to get some of those guys for below market value because they are not like first round pick unless the guy like absolutely comes in and just blows everyone out of the water
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. I I think Browning, his projection right now is about a third or fourth round pick. And I agree. If he does really well in the testing department, he's going to be – there's going to be some conversation about him as a second-round talent. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because he does have a lot of ability. It's just a matter of can he maximize that at the next level and get the most out of him. I don't think he's gotten the most out of his skills at Ohio State, but certainly there are some things that can translate to the NFL to where you can definitely see that happening. Uh, once he gets to the professional level uh all right so went through a lot there a lot of guys to keep an eye on there's even more i mean there's these really these two games are going to be showcases for really some of the best and brightest young talents in the in the upcoming 2021 even 2022 nfl drafts. so uh it's going to be an exciting weekend of football when you come when it comes to that on friday and as well as the bears packers games just uh it's going to be fun as a football fan as a kind of a quote-unquote draft analyst as a just a Bears fan in general uh this is going to be a fun weekend and we hope that it all works in the favor of Bears fans um in that aspect um and that they can make the playoffs here so uh I think this is a good way to wrap things up and uh conclude this episode of the Picks for Pays podcast I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in uh you say where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work
1: yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Cold Show. You can also go ahead and read my work on the Bear Report. I've got articles that drop on there like two or three times a week. And then obviously, once the calendar does turn to January, we're gonna go full on into NFL draft coverage for you guys.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you can find my work at the Bear Report as well, and you can follow me on Twitter at Aj Freeman Twenty Five. Give me a follow there. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a hectic week. I think uh, I'm gonna be. <laughs> on this weekend especially i'm gonna be very busy on there giving you guys some uh, fresh takes to go through so again i want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in on all podcasting platforms uh you guys are awesome and uh hopefully everyone's having a safe holiday season and happy new year's everyone uh we got, we got hope everyone has a fun and safe uh new year's eve and new year's day to celebrate there bear down everybody